Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Tennis Fanalist Podcast. I'm Marcus Ali, back firing fit and raring to go for this episode. And uh, we're just going to look ahead to the semi-finals in Monte Carlo. It's been an interesting week in the second Masters event of the season. I know Michael Gillett has enjoyed taking some in as a little distraction from his dissertation. A big distraction from my dissertation and a, a much needed one. Uh, yeah, it's been... a a fantastic week um there's been quite a few massive results massive shocks um a little bit like this tournament in 2019 we ended up with a, a final or two players that we really weren't expecting might well be the case this year um I, I certainly wasn't expecting uh to have these four uh this combination of four players in the semi-finals Let's get straight into it. They're moving ahead and looking forward to these two semi-finals that lie ahead of us today. It really is going to be some exciting tennis. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that I predicted one of these semi-finalists to make the last four. Um, and that's sort of the best we can say in terms of our predictions at the semi-final stage. So at the top of the draw in the, in the top semi-final, we've got... Probably the surprise package, comfortably probably the surprise package of this tournament in the British number one, Dan Evans, against Stefanos Tsitsipas, who will definitely be fancy his chances of, well, taking taking his first Masters title in this tournament. Dan Evans, the, the standout win and what will probably be, you know, reported and made the most of his win over Novak Djokovic in the uh, last 16. But I look at all four of his wins this week. And I just think all of them are brilliant. Um, first round, Dusan Lajovic. You know, it's very difficult player to play, particularly on a clay court. You know, made that Monte Carlo Masters final in 2019. Brushes him aside. I think it took him to a deciding set, but still an epic win at that. Then the second round, he beats Uber Herkash off the back of winning the Miami Masters. Not necessarily a natural uh, clay quarter, but in the form of his career, you know, a top 20 player. So another brilliant win. Then the win over Djokovic, which was, you know, an, an incredible performance and definitely will, if he goes out um, in, in this tournament, in the, in the semi-final, the final probably stand out as, as the match of his career to date. But then not only that, to go on and beat David Goffin in the quarterfinal, who had just knocked out Alexander Zverev, is equally impressive, if not even more. Um, really has been some of the best form we've ever seen from Dan Evans this week. Definitely on a clay court by far. Um, you know, I, I think we we were quite amused to see him as, as the top seed for Cowery, I think it was, a tournament last week. Um, you know, he did all right. Probably should have beaten Lorenzo Massetti. Ended up going out there, I think it was in, in the second or third round. But, you know, he's really backed it up now. You know, he sits at world number 33, hopefully. Hopefully he can break into that top 25 after this run. Um, he de- I'm sure he definitely will if he gets past Tsitsipas. And so, yeah, before we before we go on to talk about the Greek, who has had an effortless, effortlessly good week um, as well up to this point, just want to know what your verdict is on Dan Evans. I mean, I'm surprised about this. I, you know, I could see him making it past Dusan Lajovic. I think I, I might have predicted that one. I'm not 100% sure. But... Um, you know, Uber Herkash on the form that he's in, Djokovic, Goffan. It's a horrible path for a player that hasn't had much success on the clay over the years. So, yeah, what have you made of, of this incredible run? 
Well, um, not only has he not had brilliant success on a clay court, but he's prior to this tournament, he'd only ever won four matches at ATP Masters level, uh, which really surprised me in a way. You know, Dan has been around a little while now. I would have thought he would have mustered up more than four wins at Masters tournaments. But uh, yeah, only four. He's now got four this week, doubling that. Um, it's been a fantastic week, but I do think the fact that he's been a heavy underdog in all four of those matches really has played into the Brits' hands. I think he's that sort of player. I, I think we have seen in the past, he doesn't like pressure moments. We have seen him drop a lot of match points in the past. Um, quite a few last week to Massetti. I recall him having match points against Federer, I think, um, in a match and, and not winning that. Uh, that might have actually been the other week when Federer came back, I think, in, in Federer's first match back. And, um, you know, I, I think... The fact that he's been able to go in as, as the underdog in all of these matches uh, has just played play, play really into his hands. That Duzan Lajovic win, I, I think, is a fantastic win. I'd actually argue that the Lajovic win is better than the Hercash win, purely because of the, the players that they are uh, on the clay court surface. I wasn't really expecting too much from Hercash at all this tournament, um, not really being a clay court player, um, uh, even though he'd had an exceptional week just a couple of weeks before. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think all of those wins are brilliant. Uh, I, the Lajovic one really surprised me. How cash I did actually think Dan Evans would get through. Uh, and I, I did say on our DMs before that match that, that I thought Dan Evans would win, and he did. But um, yeah, Djokovic and Goffin, uh, I didn't see coming even after the Djokovic match. I, I wouldn't have thought he would have beaten Goffin. Because, um, you know, without taking away from Dan Evans, he was a pretty poor Novak Djokovic, I think it's fair to say. Uh, he, he was, by his standards, he was he was quite woeful, to be honest. Uh, hit a lot of unforced errors. Didn't really look like his head was in it, to be honest. Didn't really look like he was even that bothered by it. I didn't even really see him getting that frustrated on court. It was almost like he just accepted that uh, he, he was playing badly in and that was it. But um, still a, a brilliant effort from Evans. And then I'd actually maybe even argue the Goffin win is, is even more impressive than that Djokovic win because Goffin uh, played well and he, he is a, a an accomplished player uh, on a clay court as well, Goffin. So, um, and yeah, amazing week from Dan Evans, something I, I really didn't see coming. I, I do, however, think Sitsipas is going to be... Uh, the, the much harder match in that run, an even harder match. Um, and he's got quite a, a poor record against Sitsipas in the past. Yeah, Sitsipas has had a, you know, a tough run in himself to get to this stage. You know, taking, taking out Aslan Karatsev in, in straight sets in the second round was, you know, a hell of a banana skin. And then placing Kist Christian Garin, who has shown some decent form this week, I think got the better of Felix Auger-Aliassime and maybe one more win. I would beat John Millman, I think it was, in, in the second round. But a player who's got five career titles on, on the clay court. So since the pass getting through that one in straights is, you know, he made that look a lot more routine than it definitely could have been. Um, and then sadly, Alejandro Davidovich-Fokina couldn't complete the match. Um, got an injury in towards the end of what was a close first set that Sitsipas then took and then he decided to retire after get some advice from the physio. An outstanding week for, for the young Spaniard, of course. But, um, you know, Sitsipas, to, to get those three wins, are definitely banana skins. I think you put Sasha Zverev on that path, who, of course, lost out to David Goffin this week, and I don't think he makes it through. Um, uh, Sitsipas, yeah, is really enjoying his time on the clay courts. I know he often gets a little lift, at the start of the clay court season, he would have been disappointed not to win in Acapulco 
uh, a few weeks ago, losing that final to Zverev. So it's nice to have a sort of clean slate for the Greek on a new surface, and he's really relishing the opportunity. Um, just moving into this matchup, of course, you speak um, to how much having the pressure off him and, and coming in as a big underdog has helped Dan Evans this week. I think he can cause Sitsipas problems, but I don't think he'll have enough. So I think maybe he takes the first set and then Sitsipas comes back roaring uh, and takes the last two sets at a canter, really. I just, I just don't think his game can really match Sitsipas if he's at sort of 90, 95% strength. Um, you know, he's possibly the favourite for the tournament um, if he if he can put together his best tennis, which of course we know can be devastating. Um, so I'm going to go for Sitsipas in, in three sets, but you know, if Dan Evans can hang around and um, you know, I, I think he will really have to make the Greek earn it. Yeah. Maybe I haven't learned my lesson with Dan Evans uh, going in and just assuming he wouldn't have a good week and go out in the first round, but I, I, I have to go Sitsipas in straight sets, to be honest. Um, played twice, Sitsipas has made quite light work of him in both matches, uh, 6-2, 6-3 in Dubai last year. And then actually they played on the clay courts of Hamburg last year, uh, where Sitsipas won 6-3, 6-1. So only losing five and then four games to Evans um, across the two matches. You know, only lost nine games to Evans uh, in those two matches together. You know, it's a pretty... um, It's a pretty dismal uh, record in, in terms of head-to-head for Dan Evans. But, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely could cause him problems. I mean, if someone can beat Djokovic in, in uh, you know, beat, beat Djokovic in a tournament that he's won before and beat David Goffin, um, but perhaps he could cause Sitsipas problems. But I, I, I can't really give him too much hope. I think Sitsipas has looked very good this year. And, um you know, especially this week in, in Monte Carlo. Um, he was that breakdown to uh, Davidovich Fakina um, and prior to that sort of injury surfacing. I didn't actually see that match, so I'm not actually sure whereabouts the injury came into play, but um, it was a fantastic week, as you say, for, for ADF, as we call him. Um, but yeah, for me, for me, Sitsipas has got to make the final here. And, and, and if Evans won... This match against Sitsipas, that for me is by far the, the standout win. I know, obviously, on paper, people will always remember the Djokovic win and see that as the biggest win of his career in, in terms of ranking and that. But um, the, if if Evans was to win a day against Sitsipas uh, and, and Sitsipas wasn't to come out and have a, an absolute shocker, then uh, I, I think it would be a, a much better win if he was to accomplish it. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think you have to look at the form that they've shown in that tournament um, and sort of rank the the win based on that. Going down the draw in the second uh, semi-final, we've got Andre Rublev, the the man who put out the the overwhelming favourite in Rafael Nadal for the tournament um, in the quarterfinal, and he faces Kasparud. We've got a 23-year-old versus a 22-year-old here, and Rublev, a player who I wasn't really sure about his credentials on a clay court until... Of course, his incredible run last year where he won the Hamburg title uh, on the clay course, beating Sitsipas in the final, which I really felt was kind of a, a statement win. But that win over Nadal yesterday in three sets was probably even bigger than that as a statement to say that, you know, he, he can mix it on all surfaces. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of him on, on grass, but definitely hard and clay, Rublev. You know, it is strong on both. He beat Roberto Bautista a good to set up that match with Nadal, which we know is no easy feat. He'd um, already lost to him this year 
in uh, Doha or, uh, or Dubai, I, th- I think it was. Um, so, you know, he's rightfully favourite coming into this one. He's got a 4-0 head-to-head record against Kasper Ruud, which I'm not sure whether I'm reading too much into, but that does sort of put me off talking up the Norwegians' chances uh, too much. Um, but he has a, had an outstanding week all the same after a disappointing loss to Carlos Alcaraz uh, in Marbella last week. Kasper Ruud has really rallied. Um, maybe he was sort of uh, conserving a bit of energy for this week. Um, got past Holger Rune, the wild card in the first round. Then Diego Schwartzman, probably this, his standout win of the week in the second round before beating an inform Pablo Carreno Busta and Fabio Fonini, who's had a, a, a strong week. Um, the, the, the Iranian champion, of course, to set up this semi final. Um, so, you know, it's quite a, quite a mouthwatering run. Two exciting players that we know, you know, the, the best of their career should lie ahead of them. Um, for me, I, th- I just think Rublev's too strong. I think mentally and at this level, he hasn't, of course, won a Masters title yet, but I feel like that's only a matter of time. Um, so he, he does rightfully go into this one as favourite for me. I think Rue can, can test him, but I just think outside the Schwartzman win, I, I don't think the other three are maybe as big as, as beating a Baltista good like Andre Rublev already has done. And of course, the incredible win against Nadal might have been quite taxing for him physically, but I think he can definitely overcome it. He's played week in, week out for such a long time now. We know that he can definitely handle it physically. So I'm going to have to go for Rublev in straights. What about you? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting one. I, I make the head-to-head uh, 3-0 to Rublev, but I think uh, one of those four that you, you put was an exhibition match uh, I've, I've just seen. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, Rublev uh, had looked good on clay before, especially with that Hamburg title. But prior to this tournament, had only actually won two matches uh, on, on Masters level on a clay call. Um, so, you know, definitely not a week that I was expecting. Um, and he trailed Nadal to love in, in their head-to-head. Nadal's record before that match at Monte Carlo, 73 wins and five defeats. I mean, that's that's quite remarkable to be honest considering all of the years that Nadal's been around and played Monte Carlo having won it 11 times I mean that that must be six that's six defeats now so that must mean he's played Monte Carlo 17 times I think that that's that's ridiculous um but I mean it it was a fantastic performance from Rublev don't get me wrong um I think to 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 be respectful, perhaps Nadal also had a, a little bit of an off day, but I don't think that you, you can't take it away from Rublev. I think if Nadal's going to be losing set six two to anyone on a clay court, regardless of who the opponent is, it probably means Nadal is having a little bit of an off day. Um, prior to this match, he'd only ever served eight double faults once in a in a tour level match, uh, which came in 2014. Uh, in this match, he'd made five in the first set. Um, ended it on seven, but um, you know, nearly beating that double fault record for Nadal. And and Rublev actually said in his interview that he understood that Nadal perhaps might not have been um, at his best at the beginning, but he did understand Nadal would come back fighting. And considering Rublev was a setting a break up, and Nadal managed to to level that match, uh, I think at that point there only looked like there'd be one winner, and and that for me was Nadal. So I think even more impressive that uh, Rublev was able to get through that match. Um, as you say, also a fantastic week for Kasper Ruud, um, ending Fanini's 10-match winning run at Monte Carlo. Um, and, and a really good week for the Italian. I think I've, I've doubted him a little bit of late. Uh, I think it paid off last week in Marbella when he lost quite early. I think he lost to Jaume Munar, which I had put. But uh, 
yeah, I, I went for him to go out to, I want to say, Ketchmanovic. Uh, and and he's, he was looking very good prior to that Root match. Um, but yeah, I mean, Root's a fantastic clay court player. He's won, won a title in Buenos Aires finals uh, in Santiago and Houston. Um, and he should pass his career high of 24 whether he wins this match or, or loses it. I think he, I, I haven't looked at the rankings and worked points out, but there's a good chance he could be a, a top 20 player after this week or maybe just just outside, maybe on 21-22, which I think is very deserved for the Norwegian. And, and I say that Norwegian, I can't really think of um, many other Norwegian players currently or, or even in history. Uh, you might correct me on that one, Marcus, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm assuming over in Norway, he's probably quite a big thing at the moment. Um, for me, for this match, I would probably agree with you. I, I, I think he went with blood straight sets. I'm going to go with blood straight sets as well. Um, I think it's been a, a brilliant week. In fact, no, I'm going to go Rublev three sets, actually. I think that the win over Fanini uh, actually surprised me, even though I've been doubting Fanini prior to this week. By the time that match came around, I actually thought Fanini was going to win that. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go for Kasper Ruud uh, to get a set against Rublev uh, and, and, and win that in, in three sets. But a, a really exciting match. And I think I, I definitely give Ruud a bit more chance than Evans. Perhaps I'll be eating my words a little bit. But... Um, as much as we like to see underdogs in the final in Rude and Evans, for me, a, a Rublev sits a pass final on, on the clay at Monte Carlo is, is a, an affair that I really want to watch on Sunday. So, um, you know, obviously I'd quite like to bat the Brit as well and it'll be great to see Dan Evans win, but uh, I also will will be really excited to see uh, sits a pass take on Rude in the final. Sure, yeah. Um yeah, I think I think that previews both semi-finals quite well. You can tell there's definitely some excitement um, as 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 we move on to uh, the courts in Monte Carlo today. Just two honourable mentions this week. We've uh, touched on ADF uh, quite a bit. The young Spaniard, obviously, had probably shown better form on hard courts than clay courts in his career, particularly at ATP main tour level. So it's been really exciting to see how well he's fared um, this week, beating Alex Dimonor in the first round and then Matteo Berrettini and then Luca Pui. So really three excellent wins, particularly that Berrettini one, who I think, you know, has been a strong player, not over the last year or so, but definitely, you know, has that prowess um, and, and on a hardcore and at Masters level. So, um, you know, some really progressive wins from ADF and I think he might break into the top 50 or get very close Um uh, at the start of next week. Uh, the second player, which I think you might want to touch on as well, Michael, is Luca Puy. The Frenchman has had a really torrid time with injury after um, in the last year or two, but two really excellent wins for me this week. Um, beat Guido Peya in the first round. Peya's had a tough year, a real tough return since the COVID-enforced break. He hasn't really hit his straps as yet. But then that second round win over the precocious Aussie Alexei Popurin, uh, in three sets um so you know and uh, he's a player in the sort of 70s 80s in the rankings but i still think compared to how luca puy's been fair in played a fair bit of challenger stuff just trying to get himself back up to the level that he was once at i'm pretty sure you know he was he was inside that top 15 at one point in in, in his career maybe or definitely close to it um so just a couple of good wins under his belt i know he's not usually particularly as strong on on the clay courts but Hopefully he can, you know, build up his form, build up his fitness. And um, yeah, hopefully physically he can handle the, the lead up to the French Open and hopefully kick on and, and regather some of the performances that we've seen from him. And we know that he can be such a strong player um, as, as the year goes on. 
Yeah, a career high of 10. He's, he's been top 10, uh, Luke Poirier. I guess that was probably off the back of that uh, Australian Open semi, which probably came, I don't know, 2017 maybe, uh, to put a guess on it, a little while back. Um, yeah, he's had a, a real torrid time, as you say, with injury. I know, obviously, the, the schedule was uh, depleted a bit uh, last year, but only actually played three times last year, a, a loss to Noah Rubin. And then his, his other two matches were both uh, exhibition matches. So, um, And he lost both of them as well, so he didn't even win a match last year. Um, and as you say, he's been playing quite a bit of challenger this year, but he's not actually done very well at all on the challenger tour. He hasn't mustered together uh, two consecutive wins at all this year in, until this week at the challenger level. Um, he's gone out quite a few times in the second round, losses to Tobias Kamke, who you know, assumes a little bit past it now. Um, Benjamin Bonzi, uh, that was in, in qualifying actually for an ATP event. Um, Ilya Marchenko, you know, he, he's not um, done too brilliantly at all this year. So those two wins against Payer and, and Popierin did surprise me a bit. Payer, um, despite the, the sort of bad form he's shown of late, uh, an established clay court player. Um, and I guess Poppy Rin probably isn't the, the strongest on clay. But um, yeah, he, the week really has surprised me that, that Poirier has, has put in. Definitely his current ranking of 86 is helped by the uh, the current rules with, with points from 2019 still counting because not having a win at all last year is, you know, he, he probably would be ranked way, way lower than that. Um, but still only 27 years of age. Um, you know, it's 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 not old, you know. It's it's still probably in the first half of your career, maybe. Um, I guess if you go about, about halfway. Um, so, yeah, and we, we, we see it with players. I mean, look at Aslan Karatsev. I mean, he's older than Luka Poi, um, and he's had, or, or is he the same age? 27 as well, Karatsev? Yeah, same age. Um and he's come out of nowhere. And I'm not saying Poi can can expect to do that anytime soon, especially injuries have been quite a bit of a problem. But um, you know, I'm all for seeing Poi uh, return to, to sort of nearish or, or maybe just sort of top 60, 70. I know actually he's not too far off that because of the ranking system. But um, a player that I do really like to watch. I think he's got quite a good mentality on court, quite a nice playing style to watch, and actually a player that. I've got a I've got a recollection of Andy Murray and um, Judy Murray both uh, talking up Poi. I think Judy Murray might have done some work with Poi. I know um, Murray's ex coach uh, was was with Poi for a little bit. Um, Maresmo, I think it is. Um, but I think I think Murray's talked quite fondly of Poi in the past. Um, so yeah, I mean yeah, hopefully we can we can see him uh, re return to where he is. It's, it's certainly a brilliant week, but um, I think if he's going to go back down to the challenger level uh, in in the coming weeks, uh, he, he's got to really improve his form down there. Uh, unless he's going to um, just sort of play the the two fifties and the five hundreds to come. Yeah, so that concludes our sort of coverage of, of the Monte Carlo Masters. Just one last thing I wanted to bring up. Um, just an interesting debate about the younger players. I think we see the likes of Carlos Alcaraz. We've seen Yannick Sinner come through. Um, and often their immediate strides, you could say, are on a clay court. Or their most impressive ones happen to be on a clay court. I know, um, you know, Yannick Sinner's run at the French Open last year. is still probably the standout um, in his career so far. And I'm looking at two players here in Kasparud at 22 years old. He's 27 in the world. You've got Christian Garin as well 
24 years of age and the same ranking, 24 in the world. And I'm just trying to think what, what our forecast is and what how, how we see this going. Um, because there comes a time where you're going to have to do it on the other surfaces. Um, these two players have had, yeah, a, a lot of success on the clay courts. As I say, Rude's got to three clay court finals, lost two of them and won one title. They're all at 250 level. Uh, Christian Garin's got to six finals, won five of them. Uh, four at 250 level and he has one 500 title. Um, in terms of Grand Slam performances, Garin's just made one third round at the French Open and hasn't reached the third round at all at any other slam. Casper uh, Ruud has done significantly better, I'd say. He's made two third rounds at the French Open. He's obviously two years younger than Garin as well and uh, made the fourth round at the Australian Open just this year. So obviously he's got two years on Garin and just three places behind him in the rankings, despite the discrepancy in the amount of titles won, that would probably lean you towards saying that Casper Ruud is, is possibly the more precocious player. I know both of them have flirted with some hard court form, but not really been able to put it together across the course of a season more have been sort of drips and drabs, the odd good win here, the odd good run here. Um, so I've just wanted, wanted your opinion, really. I suppose Garin has an excuse this week. He's gone out to Stefano Sitsipas. So, uh, you know, after after two decent wins. So, you know, I just wanted to know who do you see as the has the highest ceiling, um, you know, the, the most potential. Um, you know, Rude could overtake Garin in, in the rankings. Definitely, definitely would, I think, if he gets past Andre Rublev today. But, yeah, just a bit of a progress report, really. Uh, there's still two players I'm excited about, I think. Maybe Garin, you know, at 24, he's still yet to really show it on the hard course. Does concern me a little bit in terms of his development. But, um, yeah, I was just looking forward to seeing seeing how they progress and seeing what your verdict on it would be. If you had to say one one was to go further in their career, who would you choose and why? Casper uh, Ruud, purely because of age. Uh, and, and, as you say, has shown that... Um, a bit better form, I think, off of the clay with that Australian fourth round this year. I, I saw that one doing my notes earlier, actually, and I, I must say that one had escaped my memory. Actually pulled out of, of that uh, um, match injured. I, I think that was meant to be against Rublev. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd have to go for Rude, to be honest. I think we, we've had a lot of debate on this podcast about sort of younger players and, and having to make that progression from clay to a, a different surface. And... Um, it's not that we devalue achievements on clay court at all. You know, it's 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 you know part of the sport. It's um it's it, it's huge when these younger players are doing brilliantly on the clay court. But if they want to have a good career and get somewhere, they need to be able to make that transition. And unfortunately, we just haven't seen it from from Christian Garin so far. Um, you know, as you said, I think you say 23, 24, uh, so still sort of in his youth, um, not as much as some of the players. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's quite a few of them. I mean, Sinner's the one that I, I, I've talked about the most and I, I think I'm most excited about him. Um, ADF um, actually is a, a junior Wimbledon champion. So um, we I don't think we've actually seen him too much uh, on, a, on a grass court yet at professional level, obviously, because last year with no grass court tournaments being played. Um, but, um, you know, that shows, I know it's only juniors, but winning that, uh, that tournament on on Wimbledon Juniors shows that ADF could put it in on a hard court, uh, on a grass court, sorry. 
Um, but yeah, it's all about making the transition. I think grass is the hardest one for them to make the transition to. It's a lot faster than the clay. And I think that really shows when, uh, if you're looking at the grandstands, you're seeing players like Casper Ruud and Christian Garen making these little runs. Whereas if you look at Wimbledon, I, I can't really think of the last time a young player really had a, a brilliant run at Wimbledon. I mean, because if you're getting upsets and you're getting different players in those semi-finals and your finals, you're talking Kevin Anderson, uh, John Isner, Sam Query, Marin Cilic, um, all of recent uh, Milos Rajnic. You know, I, I, even players like Sitsipas and, and Zverev uh, haven't really done anything at Wimbledon. I can't really think of so. Um, it's all about making that transition. Obviously, we are sort of a year behind with grass, so it'll be interesting to see where it picks up. I do expect uh, players like Daniel Medvedev uh, to do well on grass court this season. Um, you know, obviously, he's a little bit older and he's not sort of in that bracket of player you're talking about. But um, I'm sort of going off on a little bit of a tangent here. But um, yeah, in, in terms of your question, I think Rude, for me, definitely has more ability uh, to go further. And I think even if you just strip it down to clay court level, I think perhaps Rude is uh, maybe a more impressive player for me on clay. I know Garen has the titles to back it up, but I do feel a lot of those titles, not to take it away from him, but a lot of those titles are sort of the, the South American 250s where... Garen's gone in as top seed and perhaps hasn't really been pushed too much. I think the last one he won having to beat sort of Francisco Thurundolo in the final. And, and, and since that tournament, Thurundolo's not really uh, had a great time of it. So, um, yeah, yeah, for me, Casper uh, Ruud is, is the answer. But um, it's all about uh, those players uh, being able to make the progression onto on hard court and more importantly, grass court. Um, I know grass court season is shorter, so less emphasis on it. But um, it's a much harder surface to trans transfer to uh, from the clay. And, and that'll be interesting this year. We're obviously just two weeks between French Open and, and Wimbledon. I really don't expect to see Nadal go far at Wimbledon at all this year, unless he has a shocker at the, the French and, and somehow doesn't win it or goes out early. Uh, I, you know, I fully expect we could be seeing an early Nadal exit at Wimbledon this year. Yeah, I think mainly this comes from the point of view that I'm a little bit disappointed that we haven't seen more from Garin and now at, at 24. Is he going to be a player that slips into that sort of, I don't know, Pablo Andahar maybe, bracket Albert Ramos, where they tend to just have their biggest performances on, on those clay court swings? Um, yeah, that title in Santiago, his most recent one, I don't think he played a player in the top 110 on the way to the title, so... Um, yeah, so <laughs> maybe, maybe you know, a little bit of recency bias coming in. I'm not sure we would have picked Kasparud, which I, you know, I am agreeing with you. That run at the Australian Open probably does stand out. But I um, mean, if he hadn't had this week, uh, this run to the last four, maybe we would have been more inclined to choose Garin. But, um, you know, two good players, two precocious players. And I'm, yeah, Rude in the ascendancy, I, I think is definitely the conclusion that we're coming to. But hopefully Garin can, can progress as the year goes on. Um, just to finish off this episode, we're going to... Do a little highlight onto another British player. Don't let the uh, incredible form of, of Dan Evans this week take your attention away from Liam Brodie at the Belgrade Challenger. Uh, he's obviously had a couple of good weeks on the ATP main tour. He qualified for the... Miami Masters and the uh, tournament in Calgary last week got through one match 
and then went out to join Leonard Struff. But this week he's put together an, an, another good little run on the clay course, of course, qualified for the French Open last year. Um, I, th- I think he's either at a, I think he is at a career high right now of 148 at 27 years old. So hopefully, you know, Dan Evans didn't really make his proper breakthrough till 27, 28 years old. Maybe this is a year where it's brewing down there for Brody at 148. And anyway, so he made his way to a, the, the semi-final in, in Belgrade. He got three good wins. He beat Nikola Milojevic in the first round, who of course played Marbella last week and has been an interesting player. It's been looking like he might have a chance at breaking into the top 100 in the not-too-distant future. He uh, then beat Sebastian Offner in, in the second round, who had got past Daniel Alahi Galan Riveros in the first. So an excellent win that. And then the precocious uh, American player in Brandon Nakashima, he beat him in, in, in three sets in the quarterfinal to set up a semi-final where he lost out to Roberto Carbiez Baena, the Spaniard, in three sets, which of course, you know, is a very admirable fight. I think uh, Carbiez Baena actually has an ATP main tour title on a clay court. So definitely a a tricky customer to come up against at that level on the challenger circuit. So another good week for Liam Brody. Just feel uh, important to always hi- highlight it as he's, you know, he's plugging away. Uh, he's having a really good year, um, you know, in, in very, very trying circumstances. So hopefully, you know, there'll be more of the same and we'll see some even better form from him next week and in the next few months. Uh, a word on Brody from you, Michael. Yeah, I feel like I'm sort of saying the same thing on Brody every week. I'm just very surprised that the, the year he's having, with, with all due respect to him, I think um, it's, for me, it just feels like it's come a little bit out of nowhere. I, I wonder if maybe the, the Battle of the Brits, which we were seeing sort of June last year, if that sort of series they did, I'm wondering if that's maybe helped his confidence a little bit, you know, spending time around Andy Murray, Dan Evans, Carl Edmonds, Cam Norrie, you know, all players, established top 100 players, which I think Brody was when he was quite younger, really hoping and expecting to be when he was that sort of 18, 19-year-old playing really well. And I think maybe, might be looking a bit too much into it, but I just maybe feel like those weeks on sort of the Battle of the Brits kind of level has just given him a lot of confidence and perhaps has learned a lot just being around those guys. It's someone who's um, actually not been afraid to speak out, uh, Liam Brody, about how the way that the sort of lower tour matches work in terms of their, their money, particularly on the Futures Tour, sort of... Um, He's been a bit of an advocate, sort of changing the, the financial sort of uh, spread out of tennis. And um, I, it, it's great to see him doing so well. I think the next step, I've said this a few times now, the next step is he needs to win a, a challenger title. I think it's about six or seven finals he's been in now and he's lost all of them. Um, again, coming close this week, I think no one really would have expected him to take the title this week with players like uh, Carbales Buena in the draw who will face uh, Demir. Zuma in in the final. Who I'll, I'll come to that in a sec, uh, Marcus. You you might have a bit more insight into this, but um yeah no a, a, a perfect uh, or not a perfect week for Brody, but um a, an almost perfect year so far for Brody. Um just plugging away and, and getting those rankings. I'd expect him possibly to be top one forty, maybe even one thirty next uh, next week. Uh, well tomorrow, uh, no Monday uh, when the, the new rankings come out. I don't know what his plans are for next week, but it will be nice to see him probably a bit late now to go into a qualifying draw uh, with them starting today, having just played yesterday. Um, so perhaps we won't see him qualifying for uh, Barcelona this week. But um, yeah, it'd be great to see him in, in, in the coming weeks, maybe another challenger tournament next year. I know they're playing uh, multiple sort of tournaments in one place. There might even be a Belgrade 2 coming up, but I don't know if that is the case. Um, 
but yeah, fantastic week for Liam Brody. I was, I was just going to um, ask you, Marcus, uh, just looking at this draw, Demir Zuma. Um, I feel like maybe five, six years ago, he's 28 now. I feel like at the sort of age of 22, 23, sort of broke onto the scene a bit. And I, I felt like I was expecting a bit more from him. And he's sort of a player I've completely forgotten about. I've seen him get to this final. He's ranked at 128. I'm assuming he's been quite a bit higher than that. I don't know if he would have been top 50. But um, I don't know, is he, is he had injury problems or is he just sort of... Yeah, he's had, he's had injury problems. Yeah, he's, he's definitely got sort of top 25 in his career. Um, won a few titles. I think, you know, he came out and, and did quite well in, in his early 20s. I think physically has probably been the main issue. Um, you know, he did stick around in the top 100 for a while, but the last year or so has, has been very tough for him. So maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see a little resurgence if he can get this challenger title under his belt. Definitely a player who suits the clay courts. So I'd remember watching him take uh, Alexander Zverev to five sets at the French Open a few years ago. Um, so, you know, he can, can be a really tricky player on that on that surface in particular. Uh, but no, injuries is why he's fallen away. Still got a bit of time at, at 28 to regather that form and momentum. Um, so, yeah, I think he is a player that when you, when you look down the rankings, you think, you know, he shouldn't really be there. Um, so if he can get some consistency in his game, I expect him to break into the top 100 comfortably. Uh, before the end of the year, whether how high that would be, I'm not 100% sure, but no, he's definitely a, a player that is, is capable of breaking back and um, us seeing him consistently on the main tour level. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting final between him and Carbies Bader in Belgrade. Um, but yeah, Demir Zuma is, is definitely a player to, to keep an eye on um, with the potential to, yeah, to, to put a good run together. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Tennis Fanalyst. Um, getting some exciting coverage of the Monte Carlo Masters on there. Michael's been putting some time into that. How are you doing? I was just going to say quickly before we go, we should probably predict a winner of the tournament out of, um, I assume, out of Rublev, Sitsabas. Um, I'm going to back Sitsabas to get his first Masters 1000 title. What, what are you thinking? I'm going to go for Rublev. I think just I think mentality wise, I think it's just a bit more ruthless. I think his his, his base level is more consistent than Sitsa Pass. I feel like Sitsa Pass is a bit all over the place during a match. Like there's there's sort of half a set of world class tennis and then half a set of you know, sort of top thirty level tennis and then then um so I feel like Rublev could really capitalise on that if, if that final does materialise. Um so yeah, good <laughs> good uh Reminder. Um, so yeah, Michael's going sits a bus. I'm going Rublev to to win uh, his his first Masters title in Monte Carlo. Uh, so on with the outro. Um, as I said, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week weekend, and uh, we'll be able to recap this and look ahead to next week on Monday. <laughs>